0: Well, good morning. It is so good to be with all of you this morning. And if you don't know me, my name is Brett Weston. I used to be a pastor here, but I got sent out as a church planter. And so Deer Creek uh, launched Elevate Hope Centennial 11 weeks ago, if you can believe that. Uh, Yes, it's awesome. And so uh, we are doing well. God is working. We have a community of about sixty-five to eighty-five people on a Sunday, depending on if it's ski season or hunting season or hiking season. Or you don't get that because you don't you don't do that. You're in church every Sunday. But it's great. People are connecting. People are hearing the gospel. It has everything that you would want to see from a healthy community. And. Uh, so I'm uh, preaching for Dwayne this morning, um, our senior pastor. If you didn't know, he uh, was in a mountain biking accident, and so um, I wanted to 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 help. And so it was really cool because when Elevate Hope was launching, you know, Deer Creek has been such a blessing and such a help, and so uh, they gave us uh, Adam Mitchell to run sound for uh, two or three weeks, and so we want to have that relationship as a mother and daughter church. And so I'm the daughter this, mor- this morning coming home from college uh, you know, to come raid your freezer and, and do my laundry. So, uh, but if we could, let's pray for Dwayne and Holly this morning. Father, we thank you for um, Dwayne. We thank you for the shepherd that he is. And we know that he would uh, love to be here sharing your word and sharing his heart. And we ask for healing. We ask for peace. We know that he's in pain or managing pain this morning. And, and that's just not where anybody wants to be. And so would you pray for him? Would you lift him up? Would you take away that pain? God, whether it's through medicine or through your divine hand upon him, but whether you choose to do that or not, would you give him peace that passes understanding? And for Holly as well, as I'm sure your servant Dwayne is very cranky when he's in pain. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully he's live streaming, so that was for him. Well, so Daniel Nealon is preaching at Elevate Hope this morning, and so he's preaching what you all heard last week. And so if you need to hear that sermon again, you have about two minutes to get over to Centennial and listen to that. But at Elevate Hope, we have been in a series on our identity, things that are basically true of us, unshakable things the Bible tells us about our identity. Whether that's your identity as a human being or your identity in Christ, There are certain things that that we have to get right about who we are from God's Word. And so we're in a series about our identity, and we're talking about our identity as being chosen by God. And so that's what I want to share with you this morning. And there are basic aspects of our identity. We're We're chosen by God. We're created in God's image. We're made to be worshipers, all these things. But I believe that if we get this truth, about our identity this morning, that you, if you are in Christ, were chosen by God, I believe that it will radically and fundamentally change your identity of who you are. And so, if that's not where you're at this morning, I get that, and that's great. There's no better place that you could be this morning. And I still believe that our scripture for this morning, our time in God's word this morning, is relevant no matter where you're at in your faith. Because you see, we all love to be chosen, don't we? So when, when was the last time you were chosen for something or not chosen for something? Maybe you were, were chosen for a promotion at work. Maybe you were passed over for a promotion at work. Maybe something that you made was chosen to be featured or or hung in a wall or something like that. You see, we all love to be chosen. So the author and entrepreneur, James Altucher, said this. He says, very simply, when we are not chosen, we feel bad. It's pretty simple. When we are chosen, even by idiots, we feel good. Again, pretty basic. And isn't that the basis for almost all reality TV on TV right now? Chosen by idiots. And so we, and I never do this, but I know you do, spend countless hours... Watching people make cupcakes and dresses and swords and soufflés and Christmas light displays, all hoping that theirs will be chosen over and against anybody else's in front of a watching nation. We love being chosen. We like getting likes. And I remember as a kid, I, I was sort of uncoordinated, very different than I am now. But I remember as a kid wanting to be chosen first for sports because that's what matters when you're a kid on the playground. Kickball, basketball, baseball, something. And I rarely or never was. I was always chosen for things like reading my poem in front of the whole school or playing a solo on my instrument or something. But just once, I wanted to be chosen first for basketball. Baseball, something. It's like, really? Sally's wearing flip-flops. How could you choose her? You know, Jimmy's got no arms. What's going on? Why am I chosen last? And if you've been there, you can still feel that creeping shame as kid after kid after kid gets chosen. And you're the last one, which in essence means what? You weren't really chosen at all. And I would have actually killed for a participation trophy, but we didn't do that back then, right? That would have kind of helped maybe a little bit. But why do we love to be chosen? And I think it's this, that, that if we are chosen, and especially chosen first, that somehow means that we are worthy. It somehow means that we're good, or at least we're good enough. It's a source of pride and feeling good about ourselves. And actually it should be. From a worldly perspective, we actually want people who are worthy. We want to choose people who are worthy. That makes sense. We don't want to hire an accountant who is bad at math. We don't want to hire a lifeguard who can't swim. We don't want to draft a quarterback who. Just let that one sit. Sorry. So, why does it matter? Why does it matter if God chose us or not? Why is that important in my daily life? Well, I think it matters a great deal. And one blogger that I was reading on a popular website was talking about her journey through some scars in life, and these were real scars, and most of the trauma in her life had come from not being chosen over and over and over again, not being chosen by her husband who left her, not being chosen by parents, not being chosen by teachers. And at the end of it all, at the end of her blog, she came to this conclusion. She, she said, I just need to decide every day to choose myself. And because it's an online community, you can imagine there were comments, and, and they flooded in of applause and, and saying, yeah, I've decided long ago I had to just choose myself every day because nobody else would. And I was reading that, and it just seemed so hollow. It just seems like a non-answer to not being chosen. At the end of the day, it doesn't help much to have to choose myself. In fact, what it does is remind me that I am completely alone. See, choosing myself doesn't satisfy my basic need, my longing, that someone would notice me and love me and choose me. And that's a basic longing that we all have. We want to be chosen by someone. And that's exactly what the Bible says. It says that God chose us. And if that's true, that matters greatly. If that's true, it will change your life. It will change your identity forever. You will never be able to see yourself the same way if you realize what it means that God chose you. And so this morning, let's look at the Bible. Let's open it up. Let's see what God says about being chosen. And so if you have a Bible, we'll be in Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, we have them out on the welcome table. Uh, We have ones in large print for those of you who have seen a lot more life than others, if that's helpful for you. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, this is God's Word. Let's listen. It says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. which he lavished on us in all wisdom and understanding, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And here it is again. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So we're going to look at some other passages this morning, but there's so much in here that we could never unpack it all. So we're going to focus on three truths this morning from Ephesians. The first one is this, the world chooses the worthy, God chooses the unworthy. The world chooses the worthy, God chooses the unworthy. Listen again to the shocking truth of verse 4. Verse 4 says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So, the shocking truth of verse 4 is that if you have put your faith in Jesus, it may seem like you chose God, but the reality is that God chose you. And he chose you in Christ before the creation of the world. So there's two things going on in that little phrase. The first is that he chose you in Christ, and we'll talk about that later. The second is that he chose you before the creation of the world. God chose you before you were born to be his. That's what scripture says. So this has to sink in this morning, friends. The world chooses the worthy. The world chooses the qualified, and God chooses the unworthy and the unqualified, What do I mean by that? Well, what had you done before you were born to deserve to be chosen? What did you accomplish? What resume did you have? What credentials did you come with before God and said, yes, I'm worthy to be yours? Nothing. God chose you, if you've put your faith in Christ, God chose you when you had yet to do anything to prove your worth. And so some theologians try to do backflips around this, and I get this because it's so shocking. And they'll say God chose people who he knew would end up choosing him anyway. But God is choosing before the creation of the world. And if God is sovereign, it means that all of his choices, anything he chooses will come to pass. So it's nonsense to say that he is choosing people who don't yet exist before the creation of the world, based on who will choose him after they are created. If God chooses something to occur, it will occur. His choice of it makes it so. Furthermore, even after we exist, the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we were dead in our sin before God chose us, before God intervened in our lives. We were dead in our sin. Dead people don't choose. They have no natural ability to choose. They have no moral ability to choose anything. And so we are left with this truth from Scripture that if you are in Christ, you did not choose God. God chose you. And He did so before you had a chance to do anything to prove how good and worthy and righteous you were. In fact, it's so important. Let's hit it from a different angle. Let's go to the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is speaking to the people of Israel whom he chose as a nation. So all these nations surrounding Israel, God chooses Israel over and against those other nations. Why? Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 6, says this. He's speaking to, to his chosen people Israel. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. There were bigger, stronger, more worthy people all around, and God chose the weakest and the smallest to be his treasured possession. Why? Well, the Bible says here that the reason God loves his people is because he loves them. God tells his chosen people, I love you because I love you. Again, they had nothing to offer them. They were smallest, the weakest. He says, I love you because I love you. And isn't that what children long to hear from their parents? Isn't that what spouses long to hear from their mate? I love you because I love you. And that is what God the Father is saying to his people, to those who are in Christ. I love you because I love you. And so here's an exercise, and and if you want to see if you understand this, if you want to see if you've wrapped your heart and mind around this incredible truth, here's an exercise. Take out that last I love you, put a blank space there, and fill it with something that God could say to you that would make complete sense to you. And you'll get a picture of whether you understand it or not. Maybe you could understand God saying, I love you because you love me. Or I love you because you are good. Or the one I get so tired of people telling me all the time, I love you because you're an amazing breakdancer. Sick of it. What is it for you? Maybe it's something, hey, hey, this would make sense to me if God said, I love you because you have it all together. Isn't that the message we hear? Maybe you've heard that growing up in the church. Maybe you've heard that from other Christians. Maybe you've heard that in your life. I love you because you have it together. I love you because you're pretty. I love you because you can run fast. You're a good mother. You're a good father. I love you because you're a smart kid. See, we all have these messages of why God loves us. There's got to be a reason. He can't just love me because he loves me. There's got to be a reason so we fill in that blank. Maybe it's I love you because you chose Jesus. What would it be for you? Because as the Bible has it, it's crazy. He says, I chose you before you were even born, before you had a chance to do anything, and I love you because I love you. So you have to let this truth sink in that if you have put your faith in Jesus, you can be confident that before you had a chance to do anything good or bad, God said in eternity past, I want that one. I choose him. I choose her. I want you. See, God did not choose you because you chose Jesus. You chose Jesus because God chose you and made you alive and put his spirit in you and raised you from being dead in your sin so that you could see the goodness of Jesus and put your faith in him by grace alone. You chose Jesus because God chose you and made you alive and put the faith to choose Jesus in you by grace. John 6 verse 44 puts it very plainly. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless my Father who sent me draws him. And the Greek there is closer to the word dragged. No one comes to me unless the Father himself drags them. And I love that because why else would we come to the cruciform life? Why else would we come to a, a cradle, to a king who's, who's born in a manger? Why else would we do that unless we were dragged, unless God put something in us first to make us alive and want that? You see, your faith is not the basis of God's choosing you, but the result of God choosing you. Because he loved you before you were born and gave you that faith. You were not chosen because you came to God. You came to God because you were chosen. You were not chosen because you believe, but you believe because you are chosen and loved by God. Pray and ask for that to sink in. Because when it does, it will change everything about your identity. I remember the very place I was when that truth hit me. You know, I remember some things when I first came to Christ, and I remember that story and it's kind of some fuzzy deals, but I remember like it was yesterday when I realized I'd been reading these passages and it's God loves me because he loves me. He chose me before I did anything. What? And it's shocking. So our first truth about our identity in Christ is that the world chooses the worthy, but God chooses the unworthy. Our second truth is this. The world chooses those who already seem good. God chooses us so that he can make us good. Let's go back to verse 4 in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And we skip down to verse 11. It says, In him we were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, here it is, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. See, he chose us to be holy and blameless. In him we were chosen in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. And you see, if you're writing this, like Paul writes this, you would have had a very easy chance to make this a cause and effect relationship. You would have had an easy chance to make this a cause and effect relationship between your own goodness and God's choice of you. We need to hear this. Teens, kids, everybody in here. There would have been an easy way to make this cause and effect. He would have said this. He said he could have replaced One word. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world because we were holy and blameless in his sight. Very clear. Same with verses 11 and 12. In him we were also chosen because we were the first to hope in Christ. And because we were already praiseworthy see, the world chooses people based on the pre-existing condition that we are good, that we are nice, and that we have it all together. Or at least we pretend to. And the motto of Elevate Hope is the same as the motto of Deer Creek. A church for people who aren't perfect and don't pretend to be. Because we have to measure up to be chosen, and I know I don't measure up, so I have to try to pretend to have it all together. But see, God takes a person who has no natural ability, no moral ability in themselves to be good and chooses them to be his treasured possession in Christ so that he can make them good, he can make them holy, he can make them blameless through what Christ has accomplished so that we can be made praiseworthy and glorious through the working of the Holy Spirit. See any idea, you remember that word, the phrase that Deuteronomy used, and we'll see it again. God made you his treasure, those in Christ, you are his treasured possession. And so, any idea that God chooses us to be his treasure because I am already shiny, I'm already sparkly, I'm already beautiful, any idea that brings that to the table will, will create an identity that is so flawed. It will result only in pressure, performance, pride, and eventually just giving up. It happens all the time in the suburbs. Performance, pride, and just giving up. We see it in our schools. We see it in families. See, we have to measure up or we won't be chosen. And I know I don't measure up, so I pretend and eventually give up or literally die trying. You see, the word of God, God's chosen revelation about who he is, no matter how we feel about it, it's his word, says that he chooses things that are tarnished and makes them his treasure by his choice of them. He chooses things that are tarnished, and by his choice of them, he makes them valuable. And any parent who has a toddler gets this. So my daughter, Chloe, she's six now, but when she was two, she had this little lovey thing, a little stuffed animal, and it was a lamb, and then somehow that morphed into Mimi. I think lamb, lammy, Mimi, who knows, the mind of a toddler. So this thing, she chose it, and she had a bunch of things, and she chose that, she chose it, and she was so attached to it that we bought five more. So she had six of these things. And the first one was a gift by a friend who, in their infinite wisdom, gave my two-year-old a pure white lovey. And so we had six of these things, and and the one she chose kept getting dirtier and dirtier. And, of course, you can't find it one night, so you try to replace it with one of the other five, but nope. I don't want that one. I want the one I chose. And so we were literally in Target one time, and we, we lost this thing. And we get to the car, we realize it, and so I go back to the customer service desk, and I say, "Hey, did you find a little lamb, lovey? It's it's it's, it's a lamb." And, and blank stare. Okay, fine. Did you find a dish rag with a lamb's head sewn on it? <laughs> and okay, yeah, that seems familiar. So she gets it, and I kid you not, she takes it like this, <laughs> and she deposits it in a target bag, and hands me the bag. You see, at one point, that little lamb was the same as everything else, all their stuffed animals, until it was chosen. And now it becomes valuable in a unique way. Now you have to drive back to DIA to find it. Now you have to look under movie theater seats to find it. You see, now you search for it until it's found. Because it was chosen, and because it was chosen, it is valuable. You see, by something honorable and valuable like a child, choosing something ordinary and invaluable, it gives that thing honor. It makes that thing valuable because it was chosen. That's huge. And so the Bible tells us that before we had a chance to to do anything, Before we had anything shiny and sparkly and beautiful and valuable, the most valuable being in the universe said, I want that one. He chose you and by his choice, you are valuable and he will search for you until you are found. And that is huge. And so if you're in Christ this morning, if you're a Christian this morning, revel in that wonder that you are a Christian because God chose you to be one. Your roots, your identity as a child of God stretch back into eternity past. Your faith is not a testimony to something so fragile, so fickle as self-determination. Your faith is a testimony to the same power that created the universe. See, God chose to raise you from your dead state to be his treasured possession. And God didn't save you By casting a huge net and hoping you would swim into it. He said, I want that one. That one is mine. Jesus didn't die to possibly save everyone and certainly save no one. If you were in Christ, he saw your face when he was dying on the cross. He chose you and that is why he went to the cross. God chose you to be his before creation and that must sink in. If you've put your faith in Christ that is such a fundamental part of your identity. Because here's the thing, if our goodness, if my goodness was not the basis of God choosing me, then how could my lack of goodness make God leave me? It can't. What would make God leave me or forsake me? Nothing. And that results in incredible humility. And that's our third and final truth from the passage this morning. Being chosen by the world is cause for pride. Being chosen by God is cause for great humility. See, once we realize that God loves us because he loves us, that he chose us to be his treasured possession before we were even born, there's only room for wonder and for humility. All grounds for condescension and condemning are gone. All grounds for smug, self-righteous bumper stickers and T-shirts and Facebook posts as Christians are gone. There's only wonder, there's only humility before the God who chose you if you're in Christ. And I believe the fundamental lie that is breaking the power of the gospel in our communities through the church is that we, is that Christians are special to God because of how good we are. And that Christians have something else that everyone else doesn't because they were good enough to choose God on their own. If that's true, who would not be smug and self-righteous? But the Bible proclaims the absolute opposite, which is what Paul calls the power of the gospel. It's the exact opposite. 1 Corinthians 1 27 through 31 says this, and I love this. It says, But God chose what is foolish, kind of makes you proud. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, God's choosing is designed to remove all of our boasting in ourselves. And how I love to boast. So what does this mean for us going out from here? What does this mean as we go out from this place? Well, I think it does a couple things. It gives us hope and peace and security in our identity in Christ. So going into Christmas, going into celebrating that, that, that manger, that humble birth of Jesus gives us hope, peace, security in our identity. It bases our self-worth on something more valuable than we could ever imagine. The God of the universe chose me to be his in Christ. It gives us security. And God will never leave those he's chosen because there was nothing to make him choose them anyway. And he loves you because he loves you. And that, Christian, is something solid to base your life on. That you are now free to love. You're free to be loved. You don't have to perform and pretend and measure up anymore. But that's only true for those who are in Christ. And so I want to end with a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter writes this in verse 4. He says, As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and precious, treasured, and precious to God. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, why are we looking at this passage? Because here's the thing before God ever chose you, he chose Jesus. And that's what our passage means when it says he chose you in Christ. You see, there's never been anyone actually worthy of being chosen except for one, except for Jesus. You see, God first chose Jesus, the worthy cornerstone, and he ordained that on that worthy cornerstone, he will build a house inhabited by the Holy Spirit, a house of living stones, a house of his chosen people, That his chosen people would become a new people who proclaim how excellent is this God who chooses based on nothing I've done. And so God's choice of you unites you to Christ, God's only chosen one. God's choice of you unites you to Christ. God's chosen one, and it begins a work in you, a building and building and building that will be completed in the day when Jesus returns. He saved you so that you can declare his praises, that you have a living and a precious stone to build your life on. So if you're in Christ, you don't have to keep building your life on things that will ultimately fail. Know that you are a living stone built on the unshakable cornerstone of Jesus. The one who was dead and is now alive and who makes you alive with him. And so our passage also describes those who reject Jesus. In that case, rather than a cornerstone to build your life on, The scripture says that Jesus becomes a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. And the thing about a cornerstone. Now, if you've responded to Christ in faith, this cornerstone is so solid, so weighty, so heavy that you can build your life upon it. Because God chose Jesus, united you to him, chose you, before you did anything to deserve that. And that, that is a weight that will keep you in place and solid. But the thing about a heavy stone is it can also crush you. And so as freeing as the gospel is to realize that you did nothing to earn God's love, it is equally as heavy and crushing to try to save yourself. And so the message that Peter is talking about disobeying is disobeying the gospel, the good news, that there's nothing in you that can save yourself. And I realize that if you've walked in that, if you've walked in the reality of trying to save yourself, trying to measure up, trying to be worthy to be chosen, that is an incredible weight, a weight that you were never meant to bear. And so if you reject that cornerstone, if you say, I'm fine, I don't need Jesus to forgive me, I can make my own way, I'm good enough apart from God, then Jesus is of no use to you. And you just build your life on the shaky cornerstone of your own effort. But Peter says here, he says, be careful. If you cast that cornerstone aside, be careful that you're not crushed by the weight of trying to save yourself. But you see, God is calling you now through his word, if that's you this morning. And I would encourage you to respond. Don't reject the only solid, the only living thing to build your life on. Because all you'll be left with is self and just choosing yourself. Isn't it time to be free and forgiven? Isn't it time to change that weight of trying to save yourself and, and, and letting Christ bear that weight and be the cornerstone of your life. And so if that's you this morning, you can respond in faith. You can tell God, I, I, I know I can't save myself. I know I need you. And so if that's you this morning, I would just invite you to, to pray something like this along with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I put my faith in you alone as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. In your name, Jesus, amen. And if that's your desire if that's the desire of your heart let today be the day that you enter new life with Christ. And if you made that decision talk to someone. There's a connect card on the front of your seat you can you can let someone know that you made that decision. What a great way to leave this morning free of the weight of trying to choose yourself and save yourself. Freed into the grace of being chosen by God to be his before you had a chance to do anything to earn it. If you already belong to Christ this morning, know this, you are his chosen treasure. Not because you were sparkly and shiny enough to be chosen, you are his chosen treasure. Have joy in that, have peace. Let your Christmas season start out with that security and peace and hope that he chose you not because of anything you've done, But because of his great love for you in Christ, nothing can separate you from his love because you did nothing to earn it. You're free to love and serve God out of gratitude and grace and not pressure and performance. We have enough pressure over the holidays. We don't need any more. So we pray for us this morning that this would sink in and cause us to worship. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that this isn't just something that we want to be true or we hope to be true. But that your word tells us, even if we recoil against it, even if our messages our whole life were that we were chosen because we did something good. God, I thank you that your word tells us that you love us because you love us. You chose us before the creation of the world in Christ your chosen cornerstone. Father, I pray that you would draw those, drag those who don't know you this morning to your presence. And for those who know you, God, give us a peace and a security and a hope based not on our performance, but based on your grace. And we thank you that we get to celebrate your table this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.